Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. At SFO, you can discover award-winning flavors and unique shops all before takeoff. Learn more about what's at SFO at flysfo.com. Hey there, this is Brittany Luce from NPR's It's Been a Minute. KQED's podcasts like The Bay, Bay Curious, Mind Shift, Right Nowish, and more all tell the stories of the Bay and beyond with reliable, human-centered journalism. They aim to inspire, make you think, entertain, and expand your understanding of the place you call home. Here's how you can support podcasting at KQED. Showing your support is easy, and you can join Brittany in supporting KQED Podcast too at donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast. From KQED. Good morning. This is the California Report. I'm Saul Gonzalez in Los Angeles. This morning, Governor Gavin Newsom announced an economic stimulus plan, one that will see most Californians getting tax refunds. KQED politics editor Scott Schaefer reports. The state is flush with cash from the soaring stock market and a $26 billion infusion from the federal stimulus package enacted in March. The governor's office says direct payments of $600 will be sent to two-thirds of Californians, while families with children will see an additional $500 payment. The extra spending comes as Newsom is facing a recall in which opponents say he has mismanaged the state. The governor plans to announce more details about the plan later this morning. For the California Report, I'm Scott Schaefer. Let's turn to the pandemic. As demand for COVID-19 vaccines continues to slow, more California cities and counties are trying to make the vaccination process easier, both for those who haven't gotten their first shot yet and those who need their second vaccination. In the city of Los Angeles, starting today, all city-run sites will offer people vaccinations even if they don't have an appointment. The city is also opening two additional night clinics to help workers who can't get to a vaccination site during daytime hours. And late last week in the Bay Area, health officials in Contra Costa County announced that anyone can walk up and get a shot even if they don't live in the county. And staying in the Bay Area, tackling COVID misinformation in languages other than English has been complicated, particularly in the South Bay, where the Vietnamese community has been hit hard by the pandemic. KQED's Aditi Bandlamudi reports local community groups have organized a campaign to get family members vaccinated. You're hearing a snippet of a video from VietCovid.org. Dr. Mai Phung Nguyen is sitting next to Bak Mai, a 93-year-old Vietnamese-American woman who just got her vaccine. She says, I got my vaccine and I'm doing fine. I hope all of you get vaccinated too. Dr. Tung Nguyen is an internal medicine specialist at UCSF. Last December, he founded Viet COVID as a special project of Pivot, a nonprofit he runs that provides information to Vietnamese readers about everything from politics to American culture. VietCovid.org is home to Viet Fact Check, which specifically debunks COVID misinformation. Particularly on YouTube, there are some very high traffic sites. They seem to have a lot of people listening to what they say, and a lot of what they say is not accurate. 
With a little help from the folks at vietcovid.org and Google Translate, I was able to find videos in Vietnamese spouting misinformation, often couched as personal opinion. When I brought a couple of links to YouTube's attention, they only took down one of the links, saying the other, an opinion, didn't violate their community guidelines. A spokeswoman said YouTube employs more than 20,000 content screeners globally, but declined to specify how many of those focus specifically on Vietnamese content. Young Vietnamese Americans aren't waiting for YouTube to take an interest. There are several organizations focused on translating real news from English to Vietnamese, like The Interpreter, run by young volunteers in Southern California. Then there's the Vietnamese American Roundtable, also called VAR, based in the South Bay. VAR Secretary Christina Johnson. We're just like, this information needs to be out in Vietnamese. And there's no, like, go-to, like, yellow page or, like, one-page resource for all of our community that's translating Vietnamese. Santa Clara County did provide information about COVID-19 and sheltering in place in Vietnamese. But Johnson argues the translations were often clumsy. Just because you can translate doesn't mean that um, it's going to be understood the, the right way or interpreted the right way. She says in Vietnamese, some words can have two meanings. Take the word census. Census can mean account of people. But the word could be also used as um, investigation. And whenever Vietnamese people, like older folks hear investigation, it harks back to the communist era. Why are you investigating me? Why do you need to know this information? How is it going to be used? On VAR's Facebook page, which has more than 3,000 followers, they posted webinars on shelter-in-place guidelines for local businesses. In recent weeks, VAR has been sending vaccination alerts in Vietnamese. We've grown up being cultural brokers um, and informational brokers for our families, and now we're really utilizing that skill and expanding it to do it for our community. But Tung Nguyen says older Vietnamese Americans are often skeptical of younger relatives trying to explain COVID-19's complexities. The younger people may know the science, but they can't explain it in a way that actually makes them credible in Vietnamese. Right? And of course, if they do it in English, the older people don't know and don't care. Johnson agrees and says in the end, what got her mom to get the vaccine was peer pressure. It was like, you know, after my husband got it, my my grandparents got it, her sister and her brother got it. It was like, okay, people around me are getting it, so now I'm going to get it. Whatever works, they say, to blast past the misinformation and get their community vaccinated. For The California Report, I'm Aditi Bandlamudi in San Jose. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR. Hi there, I'm Randa Fattah from Throughline. If you're listening to this podcast, you know that KQED produces exceptional storytelling that keeps you informed, inspired, and entertained. Their podcasts cover issues from your neighborhood to the entire country and everything in between. Support this work today. You can help us continue to bring quality podcasts to your ears. Just head to donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast. Let's turn to California's homelessness crisis and take a closer look at one solution to it. Instead of building new housing from scratch, what about buying aging motels, hotels, and vacant apartment buildings, lightly renovating them, and then converting the properties into long-term homeless housing, often with supportive services on site like addiction counseling? Well, that's exactly what the state of California is now doing in cooperation with local governments and affordable 
housing developers. It's called Project Home Key, and we wanted to see what it looks like and who it's helping. So we went to one Home Key property here in Los Angeles, where we met Martha Fuentes. This is my home. Welcome to my home. Here we go. Okay, I got my pine cones scattered here. Martha moved into this home key project last month, a 43-unit converted courtyard motel on a commercial boulevard in L.A.'s El Sereno neighborhood. There's really no way to describe it other than comfortable and me. Other than Martha's collection of stuffed animal dolls and other knickknacks she's put on tables and dressers, it looks pretty much like your standard no-frills budget motel room. But for Martha, who's 65 and was homeless for 10 years before moving here, this place is a sanctuary. We're in my home, okay? Whereas a month ago, if you would have told me I was going to be have my own, I would have told you you were crazy. My home used to be that car parked in the parking lot. That's where I lived prior to this, uh, prior to that in the streets. This is my castle. This is my home, my heaven. This is everything to me. This room is everything to me. It means the world to me. The converted motel where Martha lives is one of 94 Project Home Key sites around the state, where more than 6,000 units of homeless housing will be created. An earlier version of the program, called Project Room Key, started last year. It focused on renting motel and hotel rooms short-term for the homeless as a way to protect them from the pandemic. But then officials started thinking, why rent when we can buy properties and turn them into long-term housing? More than half a billion dollars in federal COVID relief funds, plus state money had been given to cities and counties to purchase properties, often from owners who were eager to sell because their businesses had cratered during the pandemic. The crisis created the opportunity. It's remarkable, actually. And it is the most successful program to date in my 30 years of doing housing for homeless folks that I've seen getting people directly off the streets immediately into decent housing. That's David Grunewald, a vice president of National Core, the nonprofit affordable housing company that redeveloped this L.A. motel. Grunewald says Project Home Key will get thousands of homeless Californians housed more affordably and faster than newly built housing projects. We were up and running in three months. This motel was up and running in three months, and then we were able to house people immediately. A typical affordable housing new construction project for permanent housing could take as long as five to seven years to get up and running. And in the meantime, people are still living on the streets. In L.A., new homeless housing can cost well over half a million dollars a unit. But Project Home Key units are coming in at less than half that amount. Another advantage of putting homeless housing in an existing motel or hotel instead of building something new is that it doesn't spark the same level of backlash from neighborhood groups and homeowner associations. And Miski runs Union Station Homeless Services, which manages this motel-turned-homeless-housing project. We didn't have to go through all the pain and agony of getting something built in a community and having all those voices that said, oh, no, 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 not in my backyard. This was kind of just a, hey, we're going to do it. We need to do it. It's an emergency. It was done. And, you know, were some people unhappy? Yes. But for the most part, the community has embraced it. 
Miski expects the people living in this converted motel and other Project Home Key sites will eventually move into more permanent housing. That'll free up the rooms for new people to move in. Martha Fuentes says she's already starting to think about her future, a future where she never lives on the streets again. You start making a budget, you start saving, you start doing little things to, br- to bring yourself back into society, as they say, normal society, as you call it. But yeah, I would love to save money and have my own place. You know, I want a normal life. But a reminder of the size of California's homelessness crisis and how much more needs to be done is just outside of Martha's room. It's a big homeless encampment right up the street. proved to be a historical year in California, as the state's population dropped for the first time since it began tracking annual population estimates. Cap Radio's Scott Rod breaks down what's behind the trend. The Golden State saw its population decline by more than 182,000 people last year. Officials attribute the decline to deaths from COVID-19 and less immigration from other countries. H.D. Palmer with the Department of Finance says the state is optimistic it will get back to slight population growth this year. As more Californians are getting more shots in their arms and the pandemic begins to recede, we anticipate those COVID deaths will be declining. We also believe that those immigration numbers to California will return to more traditional patterns. Counties in the Sacramento Valley, Central Valley, and Inland Empire saw population increases. The number of people in Los Angeles County, the most populous county in the country, decreased for the third straight year. For the California Report, I'm Scott Rod in Sacramento. But there's still more Californians than Canadians in the world. And that's the California Report for Monday, May 10th. We're a production of KQED Public Radio. I'm Saul Gonzalez in Los Angeles. Thanks so much for listening and have a great Monday. Support for the California Report comes from Paint Care, now with 800 drop-off sites in California where households and businesses can recycle their leftover paint. More at paintcare.org. California Healthcare Foundation, ensuring the voices of Californians are heard in California's decisions about health care, on the web at chcf.org voices, and Eric and Wendy Schmidt through the Schmidt Family Foundation, working together to create a just world where all people have access to renewable energy, clean air and water, and healthy food. On the web at theschmidt.org. Do you love learning about the San Francisco Bay Area? Its history, its people, its unique blend of cultures? Then you should check out The Bay Curious Book. I'm Katrina Schwartz, editor and producer on the Bay Curious podcast, and I'm here to let you know that for the month of May, we've worked out a sweet deal for KQED podcast listeners. Right now, you can get the Bay Curious ebook for $1.99. That's right, $1.99. Just search for Bay Curious wherever you get your ebooks or find a link in our show notes. This offer does expire at the end of the month, though, so you'll want to act on it fast. Happy reading! Hey, it's Avery Truffleman, host of Articles of Interest. And I've got to say, I've been a fan of KQED ever since I was a little kid and I would come out to San Francisco to visit my grandma. It was just what we'd always turn on every time we got in the car, every time we were making dinner and turning on the radio. It was always KQED. 
And then over the years, I've become a massive fan of KQED podcasts because this is local reporting at its best. These are answers to questions you've always wanted to know, interviews with exciting, unusual voices, necessary journalism, all told with love and care and artistry. And did you know that a majority of KQED's funding actually comes from members? It's just people like you and me supporting the programs they love while also getting access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. If you want to sign up and be a part of this amazing community, visit donate.kqed.org podcasts to become a member today. That's podcasts with an S. Thank you for listening, and thank you for your support. Hi, I'm Sasha Coca, host of the California Report magazine. Every week, we bring you stories about what connects us in the giant, diverse Golden State. Because what happens in California changes the world. I love this place. We were once seen as, like, the place to be California. The land of milk and honey. That's where you go to Sunshine State. But we just have challenges right now. KQED's California Report magazine. New episodes drop every Friday, wherever you get your podcasts.